Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. And welcome to the show, April 8th, 2019, Seth and Sean Sports Radio, Blog Talk, blogtalkradio.com, backsportspage.com, Seth and Sean here on a special time. It seems like every week is now a special time for some reason or another due to tax season, but this week, special time right before the NCAA title game, which tips off in about an hour between Texas Tech and Virginia. And, of course, Seth and I had both of those teams, right? I was closer on Texas Tech than I was on Virginia. But what and I was do? closer on Virginia than I, than I was on Texas Tech. So we each had one. Well, not really. <laughs> Fun way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly – it's not going to be like watching Golden State-Houston, let's put it that way. Going to be a defensive defensive game, definitely. I mean, it may be. I think the over under in Vegas is the lowest in history for a for an NCAA title game. What is it about one twenty? Uh, I believe it is about one twenty. Yes, that sounds about right. Interesting, interesting, interesting semifinal games. Obviously, Virginia. Man, it does seem like they are the team of destiny. You know, lucky as heck to win to uh, to beat Purdue on the miracle shot at the buzzer. Lucky that a double dribble wasn't called after blowing a ten minute a ten point lead with five minutes to go. And lucky that someone on Auburn was insane enough to file a three pointer, a three point shooter like Kyle Guy with a ten with six tenths of a second left. Whew. They're getting it back yeah, in so speeds after last year's loss. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Okay, so there there are a couple of things that went on in the game. First of all, Virginia was in control for most of the second half. It seems like this is a tendency. They they seem to lose leads like you like you and I lose, I don't know, minutes on the show more than anything else. We tend to <coughs> we tend to lose them all the time and they lost against Syracuse Two years ago, a 14-point lead. Last year, they lost the lead. This year, they lose the lead. And they get bailed out by the lack of a call of a double dribble and then a foul on a three-pointer on uh, on Kyle Guy, their three-point specialist. I don't have a problem with the foul. I know there are... People on the internet are saying that was not a foul. That was not the place to call Who it. Who on the was internet is saying that wasn't a foul? Oh, there are plenty. In what? Did there they go to plenty. Auburn? I don't know, but I'm. Uh, and that I've wasn't been even seeing... a, That's not even a discussion in my mind. Okay. Okay. So, 
So I agree with that. A foul is a foul, whether it's a first. I'm not sure you are of the same belief that I am, but my take has always been a foul is a foul, whether it's occurring in the first minute or the last minute of the game. The game should not be called any differently. In theory, yes. In practicality, uh but obviously well, rather whether the players play as, as cliche as that sounds. But that wasn't close. He undercut him. That to me wasn't even a, a thought. That was it wasn't even a thought. That was a foul. You can't go under somebody when they're shooting a ball when they're shooting. And that's what he did. I agree. Okay, so let's go back to the double dribble. And the double dribble was in my opinion, double. a double dribble. The double dribble was a double dribble that just wasn't called. And you are now hearing for for review during the final two minutes on any on any play. And I just think this is a one-off, which is being completely blown out of proportion. Was it a bad combination of events? Yes. No question. Do people make mistakes? Absolutely. You're not going to change the way that games are officiated based on this. And I, I for one, want less video replay than more video replay when it comes I, to college I think, Yeah, I think it's silly. Look, remember, it wasn't the going off the foot. It was the picking up with the dub with both hands, which is not the easiest thing in the world to see at this point anyway. You know, if you're going to go back to the two-minute review, well, there was a, was there, did he foul him before that? Which is the state which could have been called. I don't like it either. I, I I don't want to start. I don't want to. I don't want to get on that slippery slope. I mean, we, we're, well, we're now doing. Sorry, I, I think we're that's my. I think that. I think that's my point. Is that if a foul is going, well, I understand the two-minute review concept that things are more, maybe more important in the last two minutes than they are in the rest of the game. But my question is why. Why is that the case? If you're not going to review it in the first two minutes or the first 12 minutes or the first 15 minutes of a half, why are you all of a sudden believing that the last two minutes is that much more important? I don't believe that to be the case. I don't like it. I don't like it in football. I don't like it at all. If you're going to make that the rule that that you can go to the instant replay to check an out-of-bounds play in the last two minutes, you should be able to go to the instant replay and checking out of bounds play in the whole game. The last two minutes should not count any more or less than the rest of the game. In practice. No, I get the, I get the point. I understand. I mean, you know, I, look, in theory, you're absolutely correct. In practicality, never. I ne- I can't tell you. You know, sorry, I had to trade off the set, turn off for a second. Um, in practicality, yeah, the last two minutes are always going to be this way. Look, we just saw this with 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 football on the pass interference, which probably cost New Orleans the Super Bowl. Um, everything is always done reactively; nothing is ever done proactively. And I don't like I don't like the idea that something. Can, I mean, basketball in the last two minutes is agonizingly slow as it is. This is going to add to it. And look, refs. I don't believe that refs making mistakes is part of the game. I honestly don't. That's to me, that's kind of silly. But 
this was not this was a tough call under any circumstances. It wasn't like the, the announcers saw it. It wasn't like people like all the fans saw it live. No one picked up on it. Now, should the refs have done it? Yes. Am I going to kill them on it? No. This is, it was a mistake. These things happen. But you could have called. Wait. But if, if you're Sorry. So your take, your take, if I'm hearing you correctly, is you would prefer instant replay to overturn that because you don't want mistakes being made. No, I don't like the idea of instant replay in the last the gate in the last two minutes. That can be done pre. That can be done preemptively, or pre, I guess it's not a precursor. The games are so damn long. Like in theory, yeah, I guess it's it, it's a contra- it's contradictory. I understand. Because I'm saying I I prefer ref mistakes, but you want to fix it, it's contradictory in, in nature. I understand. Um, I don't like the idea of. I don't like the idea of refs being able to just do this from from a box in in, in the arena. Find out. Oh, that was that was a that was a, you missed the call. I don't. I just don't like it. Okay. What, and and if you have that, if if you're giving up that concept, then you are understanding that there will be mistakes in a game. Right. I do. There have. I understand. Okay. So you're you're going to tolerate a mistake or two, and this is one of them. That's just the way it's going to be. This. Okay. I I fully believe that. I I believe that in in every sport. I believe that in baseball, I don't ever want to see a robo strike zone. Ever. I don't want to see the fact that you're going to have balls and strikes called by, um, by a grid using lasers. No. I don't want to see first base have a sensor on it and every player's foot have a sensor on it. Don't want to see that. I just don't. I think that part of the game is subjectivity. Is it, Do people get things wrong? Absolutely. But on a daily basis, that's part of life is getting things wrong. So I don't have a problem if this is part of the game because the game, while not life, and I've said that a thousand times, I believe that it is somewhat indicative of life that people do make mistakes and that's okay. And you keep going on and you move on. And that's one of those things here. So I I agree with you. I think that it was bad luck. I think Bruce Pearl said it best today where he said, all right, guys, move on. Game's over. Move on. Like nothing you can do about it right now. And I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Bruce Pearl, but I certainly liked his reaction when somebody came to him today and said, well, what do you think? So well, at this point, also, what else is Oh, I agree with that. Okay, so let's you and I move on, and let's talk about what's happening in Westwood. And then we'll come back to our prediction here on the in the, in the championship game. I don't get the allure of Rick Barnes. Can you tell me I what that care. is? I don't get it. I don't. Um, 
he was, you know, he took, let's see, he took Texas to one Final Four in, God knows, you know, 15 years. He kind of started the rebuild of Clemson 20 years ago. He did nicely with the Tennessee team. But when I think also what's happening is you look at the coaches. I don't think there's a great deal of interest in the job. It's kind of like Indiana, where they're – the, pe- the perception of the people within the UCLA community is very different than the perception externally. There's an, they're not, the John Wooden is not walking back through this door. Either is Kareem or Bill Walton or Sidney Wicks. It's the Pac-10 is on a kind of a downslide as is right now. And you see it like, you know, now to be fair, Jamie Dixon, who I think, who was my, who I thought they were going to go for, it did look like that that was what was going to happen, and they couldn't negotiate the buyout. But Cal Perry wasn't interested. I'm assuming there were other coaches that had been approached, supposedly Mick Cronin, which surprises me he wasn't. He wouldn't have been interested. Um, Jay Wright, I thought, was, was, was approached, wasn't interested. I could be wrong on that. It's, a, it's really not that sexy of a job right now. And... You know, you're bringing in a solid B coach, and that's what he is. Now, that may be an improvement over what you had previously, but still a B, still a B level coach. Not impressed. Is it imp- well, look, I know you're not a huge fan of Steve Alford, and I think that that's being gracious that you're not a huge fan. I don't think you're a fan at all. Is Rick Barnes any more any more of an improvement? I don't think he recruits any better. I don't think te- Texas and Tennessee got five star recruits. I, I know, uh, well, Bombo was a five star recruit, but that was after I believe Barnes even left for Tennessee. I think that was Shaka Smart. So, are you even getting a better coach than what you let go? Or you're just dealing in mediocrity, and maybe that's where, you know what UCLA is now—just mediocrity. Maybe they're getting B-level coaches because they're a B-level team. Well, right now that's exactly where they are. They're just not very. And you look in the West when you're thinking basketball. Who do you think of? The first three teams that come to mind are Oregon, Arizona, and Gonzaga. UCLA is not, a, not is not front of mind at this point. So it's it's not yeah it's not there is not much there, and you know just kind of as if you're going through Indiana, you know when when they hired Archie Miller I thought that was a great hire to be honest I didn't know if they'd get someone at that level. Um, it's. Well, here's the other thing. Indiana, and, well, do you see Archie Miller in Indiana? I see Indiana as a stepping stone job now. It used to be the job, right? It used to be the job that you aspired to be. It was it was the Kentucky. It was the Kansas. It was the North Carolina. Now I see it as a stepping stone to Arizona or to, not Gonzaga, but to one of those bigger schools. I don't see Indiana – I don't see Archie Miller staying there forever. I don't even think 
I don't even think he'll be there another five years. I think he's using that as a complete stepping stone job, which is a complete opposite of where it was, say, 15 years ago. Well, to be fair, he's probably not stepping, not going to Arizona. That would be my one guess. That I can pretty much confirm with you. But, yeah, it's a – you look at the people who've been there the last how many years. Tom Cream, who I thought was a good coach coming from Marquette, you know, they rushed, they ran him out of town. Mike Davis took him to a championship game. They ran him out of town. It's not a, it, it, it's a, it's an eh job. And I'm sure people say well, the same thing about your, your alma mater and mine, but it's just not that great of a buy right now. Well, they ran him out of town because he wasn't Bobby Knight. And I've said this to you before, and I, and I believe this to be true. The first person that comes and does not succeed in Jim Beheim's wake will be run out of town. And I think you had that until Mark Turgeon with Gary Williams. I think you had people getting run out of town in Maryland. And I'm not even sure Turgeon should have really lasted as long as he did. I know, I know you're a fan, but no, I'm not, not really. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure he was. He shouldn't have been run out of town. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to call in, discuss this 760 283 0846. 760-283-0846 on the agenda for today, the rest of the show. Just so you are aware, we're going to get to the NCAA championship preview uh, next following this discussion with coaching, and then we'll talk about the NBA, uh, sorry, the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame and the mediocrity that surrounds it. And <laughs> finally, we will – well, I mean, look, that's a big Hall of Fame, not a Hall of Very Good, and – if you're asking anybody up, excuse me, it seems like whatever Seth has, he has now transmitted over the airways to me. Um, if, if you are a fan of basketball immortality, well, you're really not getting that up in the Naismith Springfield area uh, this year at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And then we will talk NHL playoffs as the Islanders, as the only, the only Metro team, Metro New York team uh, to make it uh, face off against the Penguins, and we'll go through the series and, and see another another round of awful predictions from Seth and Shaw. Just as a reminder, two weeks from today, we will be doing our NFL draft preview. Yes, it's only three weeks away. It's only three weeks away. And uh, believe it or not, I'm actually very excited, given that the Jets are picking third and the Giants are picking sixth. And 17th, excuse me. But I, this is one of those drafts where I don't believe if you got 20 people in a room, those 20 people would have 20 of the 30 top, uh, 32 picks the same. I really think it is one of those drafts where you're going to have uh, – there will be no consensus. Everybody will be all over the place, and you're going to see guys dropping like flies – and the latest one that I have found is Rashawn Gary perhaps dropping out of the first round. That's what I've heard. And that is a precipitous drop. Wow. But anyway. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Where did you hear that? Well, I saw him on a couple of mock drafts in the late 20s. Late 20s. 
So, right. I mean, but anyway, but we'll get to ours in two weeks. Uh, The draft is, remember, Thursday is round one. Friday is round two and three. And then Saturday is round fours through seven. So let's move back into the realm of college basketball. Tonight's game in probably the slowest, well, potentially slowest NCAA uh, championship game ever, and even more so, potentially worst-rated NCAA championship game ever. Who do you like? Because I, I, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night, so watching this game may put me there. So that's why I'm going to watch the game. So I, I'm going to take Virginia over Texas Tech. I know you actually like Texas Tech. You have for a bit. Uh, I'm going to take Virginia over Texas Tech. 62 to 58, exactly hitting the 120 mark. You're right. I have like Texas Tech. You've known this. Uh, I didn't. It, it was why I found it so confusing that everyone thought Michigan had a better, had, had an easier draw. Now again, they didn't end up playing, uh, or they did end up playing Michigan and Texas Tech. Absolutely flattened them by 30, um, and then beat a good Michigan State team, you know, a decent Michigan State team by 10. Um, to me, it really is if Tariq Owens is healthy and can play. I know I, I don't know if he's going to be able to, if he can. I like Texas Tech. I think they're too strong, too athletic. You know, watching this Virginia team as much as I have over the last couple of weeks, because, well, let's be honest, my life is working with work comes college basketball. Because um, anyone knows me, that's just how I am. But... I just think they're too big, they're too athletic, and they're too good defensively. Um, kind of around the same same area, 65-57, 65-59, something like that. Texas Tech. Well, according to Sports Illustrated, Tariq is in a boot right now and will play. So that's according. He has a sprained ankle, but he is expected to play as of four hours ago. That's not to say it will, but that's where it is. Before we move on, let's touch a little bit upon Baylor beating um, Baylor beating Notre Dame in the women's game and free throws causing the loss. UConn going down, Tennessee firing their coach. Baylor, Kim Malarkey coming back and winning uh, a national championship again. And really, Notre Dame – you know what? They had the game, and the free throws just didn't happen last year. We commended – I for some reason, I can never pronounce her name. Uh, you pronounced it very well last year. Uh, the, the, the number one player for Notre Dame who sunk those free throws. And uh, this, this year, unfortunately, she did not. So congratulations to Baylor on, on a hard-fought victory. Uh, we don't talk a lot about women's basketball here, but perhaps – it was a better tournament. I mean, certainly in some ways much more exciting games, potential, uh, especially in the last couple of rounds, if you weren't looking for just mistakes. I saw the other day that every year CBS makes one shining moment. I get chills every time I watch the 2003 one shining moment. I did again today. And this, somebody on Twitter said, one shining moment will be a whole lot of whistles and a whole lot of convergences on the replay booth. I was like, 
Yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, I kind of see it more as it's going to be watching watching the guy from LSU Waters take four steps in regards to the layup to beating Maryland and going to the Sweet 16. Well, but you always see that. That that isn't that a recurring nightmare for you? It is. That's why I drink. <laughs> That's why you became an accountant so you could do other things during the NCAA tournament. Okay. So, as moving on to from college basketball just to basketball in general, the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. James Naismith, uh, the founder of the Hall of Fame. Um, the famer, Hall of Famers were announced this week. Um, Seth called me up straight away and said, what a bunch of garbage. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, this is not Hall of Fame. This is Hall of Very, Very Good. And we'll go down these candidates. Sorry, we'll go down the um, the uh, announced the announced excuse me, sorry, the Hall of Famers for this year are the following. No, there will not be Ben Wallace. No, there will not be Chris Weber. There will be Jack Sigma, Paul Westfall, Bobby Jones, Sidney Moncrief, Chuck Cooper. Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody in here. Bill Sidney Moncrief. I Sorry, I, I got this on mute. Teresa Weatherspoon and Teresa Weatherspoon. So and Vladi Divac. I'm sorry, and I believe Hugh Evans also made it. So Teresa Weatherspoon. Okay, if you're gonna pick a WNBA player, five-time NBA WNBA All-Star, two-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year. You know that sounds awfully familiar to Sidney Moncrief on the other side <laughs> of the glass. Right? I mean, Sidney Moncrief was a five-time NBA All-Star and two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. So you have both from the NBA and the WNBA. That, to me, that's the best that you're getting out of this class. The rest of the class is just mediocre. I don't I – don't, when, when, you, when you think of Hall of Famer, when you think of those Philadelphia 76er teams, Bobby Jones is maybe the fifth guy on that team. That you think about. Well, Bobby Jones was Bobby Jones was better in Denver in the ABA, and it just I, I look at this team and I, I look at I just I, I don't see it. I I, I just don't. You know, also, you know, well, to be fair, Bobby Jones all defensive eleven out of twelve years. So, I mean, there is something to be said for that, obviously. All-Stars five times, averaged 12 points a game, won the sixth man of the year award. Okay. Um, But we didn't see it to be fair. We didn't see it. You're you're talking about the two years that he was in Denver. Sorry, four years he was in Denver. So he played four years in Denver. And he averaged about 14 points a game and about, if I, I mean, I'm doing this very quickly, about 8.2 rebounds and about 14.9 points a game. That's what he did. Yeah, he's he led the league three. Right. He led the league three times in field goal percentage. Again, this is the ABA. 
but I'm looking on that team. He's not even the best player on that team. Not even in the top two. Well, David on Thompson team, was on and so, and so was Dan Issel. And so was Dan Issel. And both of those guys are Hall, are Hall of Famers. And they're legitimate Hall of Famers. When I think of a Hall I believe Issel's a Hall of Famer. I'm looking that up right now. I believe he's a Hall of Famer, no? Yeah, they're both Hall of Famers. Okay. To me, unless you are a Chicago Bulls team in which you are going to – you're an all-time team. I don't know how, if you're not in the top two players or even just the top one player, that you are a Hall of Famer. I just don't see it. And so let's go through these guys and see if any of them were even the top player on their team. Was Moncrief the top player on his team? I believe he was. Yes. Um, They had some good teams. That was with Ricky Pierce and Junior Bridgman and Paul Pressey. Moncrief, to me, as a player, is probably the most legitimate. Um, is the most legitimate. He was the second or – he was probably the third best point guard in the mid-'80s um, behind Isaiah Thomas and behind Magic. And good, great defensive player, solid score. They just – they never really got the credit that he deserved because – Milwaukee was really good, but could never get, could just never jump to 76ers slash Pistons slash Celtics hump in the 80s. Sure. So, so Jack Sigma is a seven time All Star. I'm looking on that team. So, the number one player on that team, you could say, was either Gus Williams, Bill Hanslick, or Jack Sigma. And I, so the top player on the Seattle teams in, in the early 80s, it, he played from uh, 70, 78 to 85. He was an all-star every year. Average about 18 points a game. Uh, rebounds, look, he averaged over 11 rebounds a game. Like maybe a little underappreciated. Certainly underappreciated by me. Uh, total Total stats, 16.8 points per game and 11 rebounds per game. That, that's not bad, Matt. That That's pretty good. I'm sorry, that was the nine seasons in Seattle. The five seasons, he went to in, in, five seasons in Milwaukee where he played, I believe, with Moncrief later on. In the, he was on the 86-87 team. I'm looking that up right now. I believe Moncrief was still on that team. Uh, let's take a look. Junior Bridgman, Craig Hodges, Moncrief, Ricky Pierce, Paul Pressey, Scott Skiles was on that team as well. Wow, there were like 20 people on this team. Like, you think of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They either had much bigger rosters or they had a lot of injuries. They had 23 players on that team that year. Like, the concept of a 23-person bench. Um, so, in total, he averages 16 points a game and 10 rebounds a game. Seven-time All-Star. Not saying he's a Hall of Famer, just saying that, you know what, perhaps the Western Conference, besides one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, didn't really have many centers in the late 70s. I mean, I think Bill back. Walton... 
Um, there wasn't much. Parrish got traded to the Celtics in 80. Olajuwon didn't come in until 84. Moses? Moses was there in the Moses. early in one with, each, with Houston. Yeah. So, and they took three centers in those days. So he's probably the third center. Yeah. I'm surprised that Chris – I said this to you off, off the air. I'm, I'm still surprised that Chris Weber has not made it. And I'm interested in your thoughts because I, when you look at the Hall of Fame for basketball, unlike that for baseball, unlike that – well, I think baseball actually does include other stats. If you, It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's the – and it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, which does include outside um, outside leagues. And this is the Pro Basketball <laughs> Hall of Fame. The, sorry, not the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, which includes college. I believe it's the only Hall of Fame that includes the collegiate level in, yeah. in its, its, its thought process. Look, Chris Webber was the best college player for two years on the best team. They never won a championship, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the Fab Five was the best team in college basketball. If Chris Webber does not call a timeout, that team wins a championship against North Carolina. I'm not sure what's keeping the best player from the best team in college basketball, who also was an all-NBA player for at least two years, I, I, don't, I don't get what's keeping him out of the hall. Do you have – he would get, especially with the mediocrity that we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with you that they were the best team. They weren't better than the Duke team in 92 that beat them by 20 in the championship. That team with Grant Hill and Leitner and Hurley was sensational. Um, they were debatably, they were a better team probably than the North Carolina team in 93. I'm surprised. You know, I, I, I look through these players. I'm just kind of looking at this list right now. It's not a lot of these guys got in for playing. Al Adels got in as a coach. Chuck Cooper realistically got in because he was the first NBA, first African American player to be drafted in the NBA, drafted by the NBA. Although I think he was the second to play. Claudie Divac was, was got in because of the internet because of the international aspect and his help in kind of bringing play people over. He didn't get in because of his straight playing. Bill Fitch coached for 40 years and had a, had a record 150, 150 games under 500. I mean, you know, Carl Braun was before my time, um, but he played for the Knicks for a long time, five-time All-Star. I, you know, he wasn't Neil Johnson or Dolce's or Kuz. He wasn't the top, top tier of the older players. I, I just know who he was. You know, Jones was a good player, not a great player. Moncrief was a very good player. Sigma was a very good player. Westfall was a very, very good player. Um, you know, in, tea, in Teaspoon, she was a, she was she was a great player. Uh, not that I know that much about the WNBA, but she was one of the, the first really great players playing with New York. It's a pretty weak class from a playing perspective. There's no stud. There's no even second tier stud. And you know my feelings on the Hall of Fame. We've talked about it over the years. And this kind of cements it. I'm not sure there's one player that I would put in. Again, I didn't want – some of these people were just a little bit before me, Sigma and Westfall and Moncrief. Like, I knew of them. I didn't watch them hard. 
but I don't think the the NBA has ever, ever felt lesser outside of maybe Chuck Cooper for any of these guys not being in the Hall of Fame. Well, let me ask you this, Seth. Is Chris Webber in your Hall of Fame? Yeah, he was. Because he was the best in his position for a few years, or right there. Okay. So say he was that's better, just say he was better than Duncan or Garnett. Is. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, well, as an all-around player, in my opinion, he was equal to Garnett. I think Garnett had his better things that he did. Garnett was a better defensive player than, than Weber. Definitely a more cerebral player than, than Weber. But Weber was a better passer. Weber may have been the best passing big man I've ever seen. And I've watched a lot of basketball. I know that's a big, that's a big thought. But him and Jokic, who's now on Denver, I think they're right there. I think those two are the best two passing big men I've ever seen. So having that out there, if you're going to put, if you're going to put somebody in the Hall of Fame, to me, the Hall of Fame is the best of something. <laughs> you can put Garnett in for being just Garnett, being as good as he was, but also take into the account that he went from high school to the pros after 20 years of not doing that. But I think Weber's right in there. Again, 760-283-0846, 760-283-0846. Feel free to call in. We're going to start talking the NHL soon enough, which I know is one of Seth's glorious co- concepts of talking about since I'm not sure how much you actually watched of the NHL this year. Did you watch any? No. So this is basically the the equivalent of Sean Palmer picking the EPL because Lord knows I I haven't watched a game of EPL ever, I think. So I think we're on the same path. So we, there is the grid this year. Um, We uh, will go through the grid and see where we make our picks. Um, Chances are, I will tell you right now, Seth will probably pick better than I will because it seems like whenever we make educated picks, they become uneducated. But if you're guessing, you're probably doing better than us. So uh, the first round of the NHL uh, won, and so the one one seed in the Pacific versus the wild card, we're in the Western Conference, is wild card two. So for those that are uneducated in the way that the NHL does things now, you have four divisions, two in each conference. You have three teams in each division make the playoffs. And then you have two wild cards. The top division winner, the top division winner will play the second wild card. The <laughs> second division winner will play the first wild card. And then the divisions in the second and third spot play each other. Uh, so Pacific Division two and three, and then the other division two and three. So Calgary against Colorado. Calgary being the best team in the NHL for the Western that, Conference this year. How is Sorry, that? Sorry, go possible? ahead. What do you they mean? Have Giordano, they have Giordano and they have Goodell. Who else does Calgary have? And you're probably impressed. I even know who Giordano is. I am shocked. 
I thought you, you I thought you were confusing Giordano and Gardot. So I am shocked that you know these two guys. So well, Gardot is like five is done. So what Calgary did this year was very similar to what the Islanders did this year. They doubled down on defense. They did. They just doubled down on defense. They said, we have our scores. Giordano is a Norris Trophy winner, or certainly a candidate. And Johnny Judeau is Johnny Judeau. You also have Sean Monaghan as a center. They have some firepower, but not great firepower. And the Western Conference wasn't as good as the Eastern Conference this year. It's the first time in a while that's happened, but, it, but it's the case. So the Kings basically trashed themselves this year. There are lots of teams that basically just trashed themselves. So Calgary <laughs> against Colorado, what is your pick, sir? Calgary against Colorado. Well, is Al McInnes – is Brett Hall playing for St. Louis? Is Al McInnes playing yes, for Calgary? But- well, Brett, Brett, we're not in St. Louis right now, but it's possible. But Al McInnes is not playing for Calgary, although I believe he is the G, he's the assistant GM for St. Louis. So if you'd like Ironic. to go down that road. Oh, by the way, I went to this. I went to SunTrust Stadium just as an offshoot of this last night, and uh, who was catching for the Miami Miami Marlins? Tim Wallach's son. Really? Now I, now I feel old. As do now I. I feel I'll old. go with Calgary. Yeah. Calgary <laughs> as well. Okay, so moving down, um, it seems like Seth's favorite team that he always picks to go to the playoffs and to go to the championship in the San Jose Sharks, the two and three seed, the Sharks in the Western Conference under Rob Blake. See, you want, you want guys that are playing? You want guys that you remember? Sorry, they're not playing anymore. They are now running the front office. So I bet if every player that you remember for each of these teams, I can tell you is running some front office. So Rob Blake – oh, no, I'm sorry. Doug Wilson is running the front office for the San Jose Sharks. And Kelly McCrimmon – Right. Right. And (laughs) Kelly McCrimmon, who used to be a defensive player – for for the Philadelphia Flyers when we were kids, is now the assistant general manager for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So this is how I'm going to play this. Who do I know that's in the front office for these teams that Seth would know? I think that's the best. That's how he's going to pick these teams. Okay, so do you pick the Sharks or you pick the Knights? I pick the Sharks. Okay, I will as well because I think when you have home home ice for them, that is the right way to go about it. So I will pick San Jose as well. And now we move down to Nashville and the Ducks, the Mighty Ducks. Well, not really Mighty, but certainly the Ducks. Uh, Nashville, we, we've seen what they I can do. That, there. I thought it was Nashville and the Stars. Oh, Nashville and the Stars. Wow. I cannot read. You are absolutely correct. Nashville and the Stars. You review contracts for a living, correct? Just making sure. Yes, I do. And hopefully I will be doing that actually for, like, somebody soon. Um, But, yes, 
I'm looking who's in the front office of the Nash of of the Dallas Stars because I don't really recall. And hold on, is there anybody you would know? Marty Turco. Marty Turco is is yeah, is the special assistant to the president. And Rich Beverly is the player development coordinator. And is there anybody else you would know on this team? Uh, Yuri Hadina is a scout. And that's it. So you got that. So you take the stars. Mike Madonna, I believe, is is not on any team. I think he's just – I don't believe he is on any team. I'm looking up the president. The, excuse me, the Predators um, front office, because maybe you might know somebody there. Is Mike Leud playing goalie? Here. What's that? <coughs> I didn't hear you. I said, is Mike Leud playing goalie? Mike are, they bringing back, uh, are they bringing back Eddie Belfour? No, Eddie Belfort never played for Nashville. No, he played for Minnesota. He played for the for the Stars. Yes, but the Stars are no longer in Minnesota. I know that. That's why I'm trying to bring back Mike Leute. Oh. Okay, so so the Predators <coughs> have Wade Wade Redden, Sean Deneen, and that's it. So those are your guys. So you can pick either the Dallas Stars. Or Nashville. I'll take, Where are you going? I'll take Nashville. Dallas has two has Sagan and Ben and nobody else. I'll go with Nashville. I, as will I. Wow, we are three for three here. And then we have the Winnipeg Jets, and Winnipeg Jets, who used to be the Atlanta Thrashers, because Atlanta just can't hold. By the way, the number one seed and the number two seed in the Western Conference both used to be Atlanta teams. The Atlanta Flames became the Calgary Flames, and the Atlanta Thrashers became the Winnipeg Jets. So the Winnipeg Jets, without Tamu Salani and without Sean Zone, face off against Al McInnes less St. Louis Blues. I will take Winnipeg, and so far I am going complete chalk here. As am I, Winnipeg. Okay, so now... All right, you got to get the cough under control, my man. So, dude, it's been three weeks. I'm trying. So, a, a strange fact: the last team from Canada to win Lord Stanley's Cup was the last team. Excuse me, say that again. To win the last team from Canada to win Lord Stanley's Cup. Was it Montreal in 93? It was. That 26 Dang. years ago. 26 years ago. So there's 26 years without a cup. And so far, according to you and me, we have both. There are two teams from, from Canada in the, in the playoff. Oh, three. I'm sorry. Three in the playoffs this year. Two in the West, one in the East. Do you have Calgary or San Jose advancing? San Jose. And I will take Calgary. So you have San Jose. 
for Seth. I have Calgary for Sean. And Nashville or Winnipeg? Winnipeg. And I will take Nashville. So, so now do you have Winnipeg or San Jose? Oh, please, for the – you know, if you pick San Jose again, that's like me picking the Nationals. You that's pick why I'm San doing Jose, I believe. <laughs> that's why you're doing it. Of course it is. <laughs> if you pick San Jose, I think the last five years to make the finals. <laughs> okay, so you have, you're picking San Jose? Of course. It's like okay. Chris Berman picking the Nationals. All right, San Jose, and I am picking Calgary. So I at least have one one team from Canada in the final. Okay, let's move on to the Eastern Conference where we have can we do Tampa it Bay. We can. We we can try. Okay. Tampa Bay and Columbus. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has led the league, led the NHL in points start to finish all year. They're, they've obliterated people. So we are both picking Tampa Bay. Okay? Boston and Tampa, uh, Boston and Toronto, the best first-round matchup, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer team. I think Boston beats Toronto, and Toronto's out in the first round. On behalf of you and Mike, Nare- you, Mike Nirenberg and Russ Mesnick, I will go with Boston. Because of the traitor. Okay, the Capitals and the Hurricanes, and I will tell you, as, as, as an Islander fan, we were hoping to see the Hurricanes in, in round one because seeing the Penguins scares the crap out of me. Uh, Hurricanes and Capitals, a good defensive team versus a good offensive team. The Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals, take this one for me. Agreed, the Caps. And the Islanders and the Penguins, and I feel like this is a NCAA tournament pick for me because I don't think either one of these teams is getting past the Capitals in the next round. And because of that, I will pick my New York Islanders. No, I'll take Pittsburgh. (laughs) Of course you will. (laughs) Okay. Wow. So now we have the Cats. The Caps against the Islanders, I have the Caps. I have the Caps over uh, Penguins. Over 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 the over the Penguins, excuse me. Right. Okay, Tampa Bay and Boston, which will be an incredible matchup. I'm actually going to take Tampa Bay. I'm gonna I'm still gonna go chalk here. I'm gonna go Boston. Just because. Right, of course. Okay, so you have Boston in the Capitals, and I have Tampa in the Capitals. I am taking Tampa to go to the finals. I'm taking Boston. And who do you have, Boston or San Jose? (laughs) What an awful, what an awful, awful finals. Like, you're talking about, uh, you're talking about slow-paced, just beating the crap out of everybody. 
I guess that's what playoff hockey is all about. But, oh, that's kind of like Texas Tech and Virginia all over again. I'd love to say San Jose, but let's be honest, they're probably not going to get that far in the first place. I'll go with Boston. (laughs) Okay, and I'm going to pick Tampa to win because as much as I really would like Calgary to break that 26-year streak, I just don't think it's going to happen this year. And Tampa has been, from start to finish, been the best team in the NHL. And I think they're going to have a job. They just are. Ladies and gentlemen, if anybody has any home remedies for my partner over here, please email us at sethandshawn at gmail.com. It's been three weeks. We still have that email? Him. We... What? That email hasn't been yeah, in like five years. No, we, we've had it. It's still there. If people want to call, if people want to write, we're still on Twitter. We still have our Facebook all right. page. All that still happens. If you'd like to, if you'd like to find us at Seth and Sean on Twitter, we're there. We're on Facebook, and we do have the Seth and Sean uh, email address as well. So if yeah, you'd I like to donate a log, if you'd like <laughs> to donate a log, please, please do such. Seth, Seth sounds like he can use it, doesn't he? All right, so we got about yeah, we got about seven minutes left. Um, if you'd like to go first, be, feel free to do such. If you'd like me to go first, I'm happy to do such as well. I know I'll go, and okay. I will start off by giving props to two teams I I did not think I would be saying this about. Congratulations to the Orlando Magic and the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I kind of had a feeling Brooklyn would make some kind of run this year. I didn't know if they'd make it to the playoffs. But I thought you would see you would see some real marked improvement. They're well coached um, with Atkinson. They're well put together by Sean Marks. But when Karis LeVert went out in six games in or ten games in, and they lost seven in a row by about ten points combined, this was not a team you thought was, thought was going anywhere. Dinwiddie goes out. And to make a run and to make the playoffs and to be a team nobody wants to play in the playoffs, um, it looks like it'll probably be Philly. Good for them. And it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, it's assuming they don't go very far in the playoffs. They're going to have room for max free agents. They're probably going to re-sign D'Angelo Russell. But I really, <laughs> when I look at what the, what the Knicks have, and I look at what the, what the Nets have, I'm really interested to see if, for the first time in recent memory, the Nets are going to be a draw. And as, as impressive as what the Nets have done, at least the talent was there where I could, you could see some kind of progression. I don't think anyone saw Orlando coming. That team has, has so little talent, it seems. Vucevic has been sensational. Aaron Gordon, Terrence Ross. This was not a team you saw even going anywhere near the playoffs. And to make a te- you know to make it with this talent, Steve Clifford really is the second he did this in Charlotte too. To to, to go to the playoffs with this kind of team, geez, all credit to both of those teams. And at least and for me, yeah. the NBA playoffs start next week. Woohoo! Yeah, to put it in some perspective, guys, <laughs> the point guard for the Atlanta Magic for 80 games this year was DJ Augustine. DJ Augustine, who has been pushed off two or three teams so far. 
Their second leading score, their leading scorer was Aaron Gordon with 15. Uh, sorry, the leading scorer was Vukovic with 20 points per game, and Aaron Gordon was second with 15. Evan Fournier 15. DJ Augustine with 11. Terrence Ross with 14. You know what the one thing about all those guys other than Aaron Gordon is? They've all been castaways from somewhere else. I mean, they signed Michael Carter-Williams with a, with, for 27 games, and he's their sixth leading scorer. You're absolutely right, Seth. That the job that Steve Clifford has done, he will not get coach of the year. It won't happen. <coughs> Kenny Atkinson will likely get coach of the year. But no, he won't. The fact is, no? No. Um, you think it'll be Dan Sony? No, I think I'll go to Bud, to Bud up in up in Milwaukee. Okay, fair, fair. But he has done a tremendous job. They have a first round pick this year. It'll be in the low teens. And the the problem with making the playoffs, and this is going to be the issue with teams like Orlando, is that, and this is the question that you ask yourself if you're Orlando, who I believe is actually capped out which makes very little sense, but I don't believe they have much room under the cap unless they get rid of some players, is, is it worth it? And, Seth, you can answer this from, I think from the Nets' point of view, it is. You've made the adjustments. You have the young players. You still have cap room. It's worth it to make the playoffs this year and not have another player come in that's so young. But when you're looking at the – the lack of talent in Orlando with Aaron Gordon, Vucevic, Jonathan Isaac, and Bamba as your main four, but you're not getting a number one. You're, you took yourself out of the running for one of those top point guards, which is what they really need. Is it worth it to a team like Orlando to make the playoffs, or should they, or is it a detriment to make them when you're that when you're in that spot? I think it's worth it for them, and here's why. Um, this is a team that hasn't yeah, won. Fight. It's a team that hasn't gone to the playoffs in eight years. Nobody wants to hear about rebuilding forever. When you have guys who have been on this team for four, five, six years, you're more. it's more important for them to make the playoffs. Than, you know, instead of having the 11th pick, they'll have the 17th pick. It's more important. Sometimes you just, sometimes you just, you need, you the wins, the wins trump certain things. In this case, it does. Okay. Well, the any the NBA playoffs start next week. The NHL playoffs start this week. Good playoff sports coming your way. Wednesday they're going to rock the barn in National <clears throat> Coliseum. So I'm really looking forward to that. We'll talk to you guys next week. Stay tuned for the uh, NCAA championship. For Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com, Blog Talk Radio. And have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.